As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. All right, here we go. Um, welcome, whether you are watching live on uh, the This Is Bracket Racing Facebook page or listening after uh, we've uh, uploaded this to the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast feed. Just want to say welcome back to Friday Storytime. This is uh, something that we've been having a lot of fun with each and every week and uh, just part of our real ramp up in content in general um, during this you know, shelter in place, uh, social distancing time of, uh, you guys know a lot of you that have been joining us on a regular basis. Uh, we've been trying to show up three times a week, uh, 11 o'clock central, noon Eastern, every Tuesday, every Thursday, every Friday. Admittedly, uh, Fridays are my favorite because it's this uh, story time format that we've been having a lot of fun with. And if you're new here, like the, the goal is just to, to provide a little bit of, I don't know, encouragement joy, um, perhaps just a pleasant distraction from the current reality and, and in these, you know, difficult and, and uncertain times and a distraction around, you know, our shared passion uh, of racing. That, that's kind of what brings us all together and what, uh, what many of us are missing perhaps as much as anything right now, the, the competition, the sense of community, the camaraderie, uh, and just the opportunity to get together and, and have a little bit of fun. So along those lines, joining me today, um, not only one of the most talented racers that I've ever been around, but perhaps more applicable to this format, one of my favorite storytellers of all time. So Steve Cisco, Steve, man, thank you for taking the time to uh, hop on here with us today. I appreciate you asking me to be on. Pretty yeah, man. To be, uh, like a movie star now. <laughs> man i'm looking for, i've been looking forward to this all week i'll be honest i i know i just said like the the purpose of this is to be more of a distraction than anything but especially given your location like i feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't touch base and then like how are you doing how is your family dealing with with this situation um new york new jersey area obviously is very populated 
Um, South Jersey isn't as bad as Central and North Jersey, um, but nobody we know has been affected uh, health-wise. Um, it's kind of an eerie feeling being out there. Luckily, I could still work, and my wife, Lindsay, is able to work at home. Um, so in that aspect, we haven't felt any repercussions of uh, financial issues um, other than, you know, she's stuck in a house and doesn't get to get out, and everything's closed. I mean, it's it's a strange feeling. Yeah, no question. I, 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 what's odd about it to me is, like, it feels – by nature, like it's so isolating that it feels like you're the only one going through it, or at least that's the sense that I get. And then you look around and like, it's not even nationally, it's globally. Like everybody's kind of doing the same thing. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, down here, obviously we have Atlantic City is real close. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if it's something for like the, um, I don't Oriental, Asian, that type of people. But if you went to the casino, a lot of those people always wore masks anyway. And I don't know if it's just from where they're from or because there's so many people in the casino, but now everywhere you go, everyone got mask on and it almost feels like, um, I don't know, I, I'm embarrassed to put one on, even though everybody else is, so I don't go in any place. So I just feel like, um, you know, everybody walks in, you don't know who's going to rob the place or want to buy something, you know, it's, it's, but it's just an eerie feeling how some people have done this already. And then there's other people that, it's new to, and I'm just one of the people, I'm old school. I don't like change. So I'm going to walk around without a mask and hope I don't get anyone sick and hope I don't get sick. Sure. Sure. All right. Let's, uh, let's lighten the mood a little bit. I, uh, I don't know if you've got anything specific in the queue. Um, I, I the, the one that stuck out to me and I, and I think why I originally contacted you was I love the story of your first trip to Florida for the winter series. If if memory serves, it was your first trip to the winter series. I don't know if that's a good place to tee you up to get started, but I just wanted to have a little bit of fun with it. I know what story you're probably referring to, but my first two trips to Marosa were pretty interesting. So are you, are you referring to me uh, falling asleep and flipping my rig over or winning a lot of money at the racetrack? I, I the the story that I'm thinking of ends with you like curled up sleeping underneath Bertozzi's motorhome. That's that's okay. year number two. Okay, <laughs> well let's backtrack a little bit then. Year number one was uh, was pretty fun too until I flipped over. Uh, where do you want to start? Want to start first or second? Uh, let's go in chronological order. All right. Um, I'm gonna say I know I was a year out of high school, so let's just say. I graduated 95. So let's just say it's 96, I'm guessing. And uh, Jim Harrington, obviously, um, well-known. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody liked him. Um, Growing up, he was one of the guys that I watched, and he won all the time. Well, he never really owned anything. He just borrowed cars. And I had a 12-second quarter-mile car I delivered pizza with, had a delay box in it, and I ran Super Pro on the weekends with it. And one day he just saw that it was consistent, simple to drive. And he said, you want to take a trip to Florida and uh, we'll go to Moroso and we'll race one day at Bradenton and come home. So at 17 or 18, I, I felt like um, Florida was like, I don't know, Mexico. You know, like I didn't know how far away, like I knew where it was on a map, but I never went past Virginia and like in a car. So, so me and him, he convinces me. and. Uh, Obviously, Moroso, the only thing I ever heard about was some of the local guys that went down there and reading stuff in magazines, how it was, you know, 
that was like, I don't know, indie, indie for like the class racer guys or sure. the Daytona 500 for those type of guys. So we hook up my open trailer, my 12 second car and his dually. And we leave whatever day. And it's funny because it took us four days to get to Florida. And then, you know, years later, I drive it overnight. You know, I get there in 16 hours. But we, uh, we take off driving and we get about four hours into the trip. He pulls over, makes a phone call at a pay phone. And it's to uh, Steve Taylor, which everybody knows who he was, especially in that time. Well, he tells us that there's a track in North Carolina in Rocky Mount, which I think the track was called Rocky Mount Dragway, maybe, or racetrack. Um, obviously it was non, non sanctioned track. And he said, Brenda, which is his wife was going to be there and they're paying 2000 for top bold and 1000 for foot brake. So Harry says, well, let's roll in there. So we'll see if we get some money to pay our entries when we get to Florida. So we pull in there early. Obviously we get directions. The place is small. We park and they wind up getting so many cars that I don't know what they expected, but I don't, I remember when you paid to get in, at one point they stopped that and they became the staging ones. So you, it was like, <laughs> I don't know if you could race after that, but as they were making time shots, they closed it off and they became the staging lanes. And I remember trucks backing up on the spectator side with like pickup trucks with recliners and love seats in the back. And I mean, it was definitely what I wasn't used to this. I mean, it might've been common for you guys, but not me. This sounds like Saturday night at I-57 Drag Strip in 2020. So I don't know what to, or 2019, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not going to drive around with a recliner in the back of your truck in New Jersey. Somebody would steal it with a traffic light. The, um, so so they, they make an announcement. My car was, a, like I said, a 12-second car. With him in it, it was a little, you know, probably 210 slower because he was 200 pounds heavier than me. And he's going to deep stage, and we're going to run foot brake. So I'm guessing it was like a 780 or 790 eight-mile car. So they make, somewhere in that area, they make an announcement due to there being too many cars in that class, they're going to call the first couple lanes for eliminations, 799 and faster and 80 and slow. So I remember the rollout was goofy. They would show you your times as you went down the track. Even in eliminations, you got your 60 foot and everything. But the 60 foots would move like 800s lane to lane. So he said, well, Steve-O, this is going to be perfect. We're just going to dial like 805. We're going to race all the streetcars. And I know when I pass the 60 foot, if I'm holding like a tenth and a half or a tenth. And I'm just going to agree with you. You're one of the best guys I ever saw race a race car. Uh, whatever you want to do. So first round, he pulls in the lanes. And he gets, uh, we see this little kid pulling. And it's a, it's a four-door Ford Taurus, you know, street car. And the kid pulls in the lanes, gets out. And we think he just drove the car to the staging lanes for his dad or something. Well, next thing you know, they're getting ready to pull in the water. And Harrington's got to race this kid. So. We just laugh at it. We don't know how old the kid is. We know he's young. So we pull in the lanes for a second round. They had re-entries. They run the re-entries. We pull in the lanes for a second round. And another kid pulls up with a streetcar. But it turns out the two kids were the grandparent, grandsons or something of the owner of the track. The first kid was like nine. The second kid was 11. <laughs> Third round, he wound up beating a nine-year-old again because he bought back and made it that far. So, so the first three rounds, he beat three people that weren't over 12 years old. And of course he, he runs through that part of the field until they combined them. And we get down to three cars and he's got to run 
Brenda Taylor, and obviously it's a you know front wheel drive Cavalier. I think it was her white one that they, she used to race, and uh, she beats them. And I remember going to get paid, and we got a check for twenty six dollars and fifty cents. For a th- <laughs> it was a thousand dollars a win. We got twenty six fifty for the semi. For th- <laughs> So that didn't do much for paying entry fees. No, no. It was still fun. It was still fun. But, you know, after that, from North Carolina, Florida, it was like three more days for us. We finally get to Moroso. And uh, he's going off the bottom with the delay box with maybe a couple thou in it at the most. But he was also still deep staging. And he went a few rounds here and there. And it was fun. I got to meet people, which became friends. Um, all my poker guys. Um has that always been a thing, Rosso? Yeah, I always, yeah, I became one of the regulars right off the bat with playing cards. And um, uh, Big Laboose wasn't there yet. He was still he um, he had other obligations for that year. The next year is when I met him, but we became instant friends also. But we raised Moroso. Everything goes fine. Um, he wanted to go over to Bradenton because. At that time, I think that was the year they took the picture that everyone always floats around, that everybody who's been at Moroso, and you had all those old names. Well, Harry was one of those, I believe. Well, he wanted to go to Bradenton also because he never missed a Bradenton race. So we, uh, we go over, we race one day at Bradenton, and um, racing halfway through the night, we're out and we take off. And somewhere between South Carolina and Georgia, whatever state I was in, I was getting tired. And I remember I had the cruise set at like 80 because the speed limit's like 70 or 75. And the next thing I know is he's yells my name and grabs the steering wheel and we're off the road. And <laughs> next thing we know, we're on the, we're off the road, then we're on the road and then we're in the median and we come to a stop and we're both looking at it. We're scared. It's dark. The sun's not up yet. People are stopping, asking if we're all right. I'm like, yeah, we're fine. What happened? Like, we're in the middle of the road. It's not a big deal. The median is, you know, four lanes wide. Well, when the sun comes up, I start walking around the car in the dark and I'm holding on. It was, it was a Malibu and it was, it was mint. It was one of the nicest Malibus you would see at the time, 80 Malibu. And I remember walking down the side of the trailer and I'm holding on to the car because it's dark and I slip and I get up and I said, I said, shoo, I said, I think there's a problem. He's like, what? I said, I feel like the quarter panel is buckled. We must've like slid through some trees. And he's like, ah, oh, Steve, it's not as bad as you think. Wait till the sun comes up. Well, I slip, not realizing what I slip on is the back window. And then I walk around the other side and I could tell the car's not on a trailer straight and that quarter panel's buckled. Well, when the sun came up, we realized the reason why everybody was stopping is because they saw what was happening and the dually was sliding sideways in the median and the trailer wheels were off the ground. The truck was, the median had a valley so picture the four wheels of the truck sliding sideways. The trailer wheels disappeared because it was dragging on the back of the trailer. And it hit a sewer ditch. And it hit it perfectly square, blew the tires off the bead on one side, and ripped the trailer off the ball. And the trailer was rolling behind us. So the people saw that, but we didn't realize that at the time. Right. So then when we got to Moroso or Bradenton or Moroso it was when we hooked the trailer because we stuck the trailer way down the end in the tires just because we parked the car up by Anthony's trailer. But uh, we never unhooked it at Bradenton. We were there one day. And he said, Steve-O, when you hook the trailer up at uh, Moroso, do you put the safety chains on? I said, no, you hooked the trailer up. And he's like, 
these safety trains are crossed and I didn't cross them. And that's when we realized we, at first we thought the thing just fell off the train, like ripped off the field. But in the meantime, it was barrel rolling behind us. Wow. It's so, still hooked to the safety chains. And then it was safety chains. Yeah. And the trailer landed back on its wheels. So we, <laughs> a tow truck finally showed up and asked the guy, said, what do you want to do? I said, just, I guess just hook the, hit the hook to the rear and drag it off the trailer. And I'm going to see if I could start it. And Harry drove the truck onto the shoulder I got in a race car. I drove down one direction in 95. I turned around, drove it. We took one. I had two ratchet straps left. The rest of them snapped. I took one of them and wrapped it around the hitch and the tongue of the trailer to hold the trailer. And I drove the car on a trailer. And we drove from South Carolina or Georgia, wherever I was, to Virginia to one of Anthony's buddies. I think it was who used to build his cars, the guy that everyone maybe, – maybe one of the Pontiac guys. I don't know. But – the guy rewired my trailer so we could make it the rest of the way. We stopped for gas and somebody asked us, he said, I didn't know they were having a demolition derby today at whatever track we were like Maryland at this time. I'm like, no, nah, this is a drag car. <laughs> and it was really nice. <laughs> the, uh, you know, I think in the, in the history of the podcast, you're either the second or third to come on and share like about the craziest travel story I've ever heard that involved Harry. Like why? I, I don't think that this was like the only, this was, I don't want to say this was commonplace for the shoe, but I know he's been involved in several crazy highway accidents. He didn't go anywhere where there wasn't something happening. <laughs> That's the way it was. He never had, and I, anything I say, don't take it the wrong, like I don't, I'm not bad mouthing him, but everybody knew Harry had, he never had anything. Right. His only concern was how, I mean, he loved his wife, he loved his friends, he loved his family, but he loved racing. So his biggest concern was, how am I going to get to the next race? That was what he cared about. And like there was, and I know he used to work on diners, he used to weld, he used to, I think Sam Biano got him a job for like Amheuser-Busch or something in the 80s. Like he, he worked occasionally, but yeah, every, every time he went somewhere, there was a story. Dauber's got a bunch of stories. I, you want to hear a good one about him? He takes Dauber's motor home and trailer, I think, to the bracket finals. And he's coming home, and he's on an exit ramp or something, and he hits the brakes, and it's raining, and the motorhome jumps the curb, and he hits a telephone pole, and the windshield falls out. So he calls Dauber, and however the story goes, he's, Dauber, I got good news and I got bad news, which is how they always start. The, so Dauber says, uh, what's the good news? And Harry says, we're all right. He said, what's the bad news? He said, I installed a chandelier in the bedroom of the motorhome. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, well, I hit a light pole and the light pole went through the roof. So there's the light pole was hanging like two feet above the mattress in the motorhome. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how they all work. I, feel, I can't, I'm not even, it's not coming back to me now but we had bastinelli on a couple of a couple months ago on the regular podcast and he had a he had a harrington story as well so yeah well they they were together in a lot of uh a lot of different stories i mean they were both wild people sure yeah you could uh, we could actually write a book and and have a harrington book and i'm sure people would buy it yeah there would, I, there would be plenty of chapters <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would jump on reading that for sure and i think i've heard most of the stories by now yeah 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 <laughs> and they're all true some might be fibbed a little bit but they're 99 percent is the way it happened all right so what about year two it, it seems like it just kept getting better 
Well, year one, I went down as a, as a 17-year-old car owner. How's that? The um, year two. Harry, year one, you didn't, you didn't drive at all, right? No, I was afraid to. You kidding me? I was 17. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I won two small races at Island Dragway that year, but I was a shit. I, I mean, I, these are people who are in magazines. I don't, sure. You know what I mean? Like, they're, people had sponsors. I'm like, I'm like it's just crazy. But um, after watching how it was and how the so-called famous people that you read about, Harrington was friends with those people. So I got to meet them that year, and I realized that other than them being older and having money and fancy cars, they're no different. Like, they treated you just like I was one of them. So year two was when Harrington had started his driving school. And his partner was uh, Frank Gomes. So he had two dragsters and Harrington talked him into letting me drive one. So I drove down to Florida with Frank with the two, uh, two I think they were both, actually one was a Mullis and one was an undercover car. And um, I think it was 830s. I think I was going 830s, which was, which was, there were some faster, but most of them were 80s to 850 cars. Sure. And um, yeah, so the second year I went down and raced and was impressed with myself. I think I lost third round all five days, which now today I would say, well, that was a waste, you know, but it was Moroso and I never lost first round and I beat people with big names. And I remember there was a magazine that used to come out and they would post like um, the best packages of Moroso and the closest races. Like they just had these stats. And I, yeah, actually, I remember that. that and I made the, right. I made the magazine for the wrong end of it, but, I ran, I ran Mike Fuquay third round of one of them races. And I think we were both dialed 830s or something like that. And whatever the numbers were, the numbers were pretty impressive for that time. But I'm going to say I was like 008 dead five. And he was 13 and pedaled me from like the thousand foot on and took zero, 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 whatever, you know, alligator sign. And I lost. So I'm like, how did like i don't get it like how did that just you know if he took a thou he loses he gives it back a thou he loses he took the right you know it was just one of the things but that actually gave me confidence i wasn't sure you know, he was I think he might have been a world champion that year or the next year mm-hmm. you know i yeah, remember I think it was 96 was the year that he won both, both. Uh, him and anthony i think both yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I, I mean that gave me confidence that yeah the guy beat me and he basically made schooled me but I didn't do I was going to beat shit 1996 or whatever, seven, whatever it was. I was going to beat probably 99% of the people that round with that run. But Morosa was fun. Then we head over to Bradenton and I lose early one night. Anthony's trailer is parked behind the burnout area up against the highway. And my fire jacket had a, um, a pocket with a zipper. And I always used to keep five or 10 bucks in there just in case I was in the lanes and there's an oil down and I wanted a drink or something. I never carried money in my pocket because I was afraid to lose it. So I wind up losing and I'm back by Anthony's trailer and Dave Elrod comes over, which is, you know, he's one of my poker guys, you know? So he says, Cisco, come on, let's throw the dice back and forth. I said, Dave, I got like five or 10 bucks. He's like, as soon as they see us throwing a dice, they'll come over, you know, we'll get some people. So me and him, I take out five or 10 bucks, whatever it is. He throws the dice back at me, you know, back and forth. It's, I hit a couple points. I might've made a couple bucks. I might've lost five, who knows. But 
that was probably just as it got dark. So maybe seven, eight o'clock at night, whatever it is. By two o'clock in the morning, I had $12,800. <laughs> starting with five or 10 bucks. All I did was have to throw the dice. But Danny Nelson and George Rupert were big contributors to that because every time I beat them, they would get mad, go back to their motor and come back and pull out more. So there was times I was betting them like 500 or 1,000 a roll where the rest of the 12 people at the table that were trying to get my money because they know I'm going to lose eventually, they were all betting me 20s and 50s. And I'll never forget that Anthony, they used to have a, um, they used to get a house. So they wouldn't stay at the track. So they all left. When he left, he told Alan Glatt, keep an eye on it when you're done, shut the lights off and just lock the door. So Alan stood in the doorway of the side of the trailer, like he was the pit boss. And everybody was standing around me. And I remember like Janice Siegel was sitting behind me and she kept counting money, but wouldn't tell me what it is. And she'd put the money in order, hand it back to me. And at one time throughout the night, I had a stack of money and I couldn't even put my fingers around. And I started to throw $20. Everybody at the table bet me and I bet 20 bucks around to everybody. And then I get over here and it'd be 100, 100, 500, 500,000. And all I knew that is if I won, nobody's hand should be out on the table other than mine and Janice because she was helping me scoop the money. If I lost, I didn't care who grabbed what. Well, the last roll of the night, not knowing how much money I even have, I start betting and I run out of 20s and I still can't touch my fingers together. So I'm like, this is pretty good. Well, the last roll of the night, I have nothing left in my hand. I have everything out on the table. So in the hindsight, I laid out $6,400 and hit my point. Everybody got pissed off and left. And Alan Glatt told me, he already knew how much money I had. He figured it out. And I counted it and I had $12,800. And the funny part of the story is I went back to the motorhome and the guy locked the door because he forgot. I couldn't get in. I'm 17. I'm not going to pound on his door. So I walked back to the thing. Hopefully I can sleep in Anthony's trailer. Everybody's gone. The door's locked and it's pitch black. And it's Bradenton, so it's like 42 degrees out. It's not like it's warm. So I find a broken chaise lounge in the garbage, drop it up against <laughs> Anthony's trailer. I, I put my arms inside my fire coat that I still had on. I lifted up the jacket. I put it over my head and Velcroed the top. at the 12,800 in my, my <laughs> pocket, and I fell asleep. I woke up in the, mor first, the morning, and the first thing I saw was, Little Laboose and his girlfriend at the time, before he got married, standing there. And they're kids too, you know. And I wake up and there's a, a, a paper plate duct taped to my chest. And it, says, <laughs> and it says, product of Jim Harrington's drag racing school. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know the year if we go back in history, but like, I, I doubt that there was anyone that won multiple days at Bradenton. You probably walked out of there with more money than, than anybody. From well, that was the joke. Like, I think that night, Santo Volpe, which is one of our, was one of our hitters, yep. I think he won a runner-up. And the joke was that I won more money than him like, well, before he even made it to like the fifth round. I, I already had him covered. But he, um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty insane. I came home and bought a dually. You know, like a, a low rider, 94 big block Chevy dually but uh, uh it's a good day at the racetrack in a, in a non-traditional sense huh I, I used to win a lot of money the gambling before racing then when I started to win races I didn't gamble as much <laughs> now I'm afraid to gamble because I don't like to lose
<laughs> I, uh, I'll assume that that was like the winningest, winningest day at the tables at the racetrack or no? For me or for anyone? For you. Yeah. Uh, at gambling wise. Yeah. I mean, sure. I've won more than that sure. in the race car, but, um, yeah, gambling, uh, that's, I can't even tell you if I had, I mean, definitely starting out with five or 10 bucks, but I don't think, I don't know if I've ever won more than 10 grand in one shot gambling, even like if you were Mm -hmm. at the casino or something, maybe a poker tournament or something, but yeah, that not bad for a kid. I remember I came home and I bought a James and here, I, you remember uh, Kenny Martin? I don't know if you knew, Mm -hmm. but Kenny Martin, I found out because he was friends with Harry. That year, he was playing a guitar at the trailer, and he was good. And he was singing songs that I knew, but I didn't know who he was. And I'd find out they're all James Taylor songs. So when I came home, I bought my dually and a James Taylor Greatest Hits CD. James Taylor and Moonshine. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff, good stuff. Right, where to next? Where, where, do, where, do we, where do we turn this? I don't have any direction. Oh, shit, I don't know. Um, <laughs> There's been a lot of stories at the track. I mean, I could tell. How about I, t- I tell one with you in it? Because um, yeah. I'm, I'm, no, no, it's, it's a good one. Okay. And everybody knows that you're a sportsman, you know, um, a professional person. You're never going to scam anybody or screw anybody. Everybody knows how you are anyway. But if you remember, um, I don't know, 2000, I met you in 2001 at Atlanta at the Million. That was when I first met you. And I really didn't talk to you, but you were parked by us. And you did good, too. I think you may have won two 20-granders. Or... Yeah, I think this year me and Northrop ran and won the finals. Yeah, yeah, Danny was one of them, yep. yep. And um, the following year or two years later is when I started racing for Sigler. And he bought the trailer. We carried your Nova around a little bit when we would leave the, the trailer down there. But I don't know if you remember Bristol, one of the B&M races. There was a 10-grander high roller. And we got down to four cars. I think it was 10,000 to win 3,000 runner up. And we get down to four cars and I had to run you and Bones was still in and you worked for Bones at the time or we're just good friends, but I think you worked Mm -hmm. for him. But um, I think Bones won in front of us, but he's in the final already. You and I do our burnouts and I think I'm faster than you because if I remember right, you were probably going five O's or four nineties back then. And I was four seventies. Sounds right. Yeah. But um, we do our burnouts, and I back up, and my car cuts off. So I try to start. It's nothing. It's just turning over. So I take my seatbelts off, and I'm getting ready to get out, thinking you're just going to get a single. And the starter comes over, asks me what happened. I said, the car won't start. He tells you the stage, and you shut your car off and waited. So in the meantime, Travis Harvey and Andy Beal jump over the wall, and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with the car. And one of them leans in and says, Cisco, your coil wire is off. And I said, well, put the coil wire on. Like, like get it going. I need that, yeah. So, so they do whatever they, want, they have to do. And they say, go ahead. And I hit the button and the thing fires up. But now I can't even get my seatbelts on. But now I'm thinking that, man, they're not going to wait too long for me. So I, you start your car up and we stage. So I'm staged. My seatbelts aren't buckled. And which now I'd be afraid to do that. Then I didn't care. I was 20 something years old. Nothing, nothing mattered. But um, I wound up winning. I don't even know what I did in a race car. I probably went down there and did my normal thing. You probably, I think it was a foul finish line, which you probably gave up. It probably wasn't, it probably wasn't me winning. It was probably you be, you know, screwing up. But um, 
And I remember getting out of the car up top and just thanking you for waiting. And this, the, the weirdest thing was my coil wire melted in half. And I, we, I got back to trail. I drove back to trail and I said to Ron, I said, the coil wire, they said was broken. He picked it up and when he pulled it off, it was in two pieces. It melted in half somehow. And they touched it back together and I had enough to make the run. And then we took your coil wire off and I used your <laughs> coil wire and I beat Bones in the final. But I mean, like anybody else would have just had a single. The two of you guys would have split the money as friends, you know, 13,000. Instead, you wait for me in a little coil wire, you know, uh, is, it was my issue. You know what I remember most from that story was obviously in jest, but, you know, several hours later, maybe over dinner, Bones just MFing me. He's like, oh, yeah, to do a stage, we split all that damn money. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, good times, good times. Yeah. I remember you and Ron coming down, leaving everything at the house for some of the southern tours. Well, I think we used to leave it at the trailer, and you took it home. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I would bring everything back. Because well, he, yep. he bought the brand new Gold Rush trailer. No? We didn't yep. even have tools in it, I think. We had a couple of tools, some fuel, <laughs> and two dragsters. And uh, yeah, so you stuck the Vega up, I mean, the Nova up top. Yeah, the Nova, and, yeah. And you would bring it back. Because we would drive to, back and forth to all of them, Mississippi and Georgia and wherever the hell we were, Alabama. So we kept the trailer. You had the trailer for a couple months, I guess. Yeah, I just remember how out of place a brand new Gold Rush stacker looked in my driveway. So I'd walk outside every day like, hell yeah, right? imagine, living the life. Imagine him parking it in uh, Philadelphia at a shop. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Do you ever talk to Ron anymore? I, I see Ron every once in a while because I'll go to his brother. I'll go, Rich Ziegler has a shop and I'll go to Rich's shop and he lives near me. And uh, occasionally Ron will be there working for him, helping him when they're busy. But I see him every once in a while, but he doesn't do much for racing anymore. And Rich races a little bit, but he's got guys that have, he has a bunch of cars out there. People drive. Right, right. That's what I was thinking. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's squeeze one more good one in here. We're getting a lot of good comments on the, uh, on the okay, Facebook we page. Have a, we could go on for five hours. <laughs> I'm down. I, I got nowhere else to be. What, uh, well, you got Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. We could just make Wednesday, Cisco out. <laughs> let's make it, let, I don't want to take off of work every week. So we could, uh, <laughs> We're going to move it to the evening session. Yeah, we'll move it to the evening session, yeah. <laughs> got to be early, though. I go to sleep like 8.30. <laughs> what uh i don't know i i, I almost want to get i don't know more hairy maybe uh something from bertozzi like um whatever whatever you got i'm, I'm in uh, i don't know um <laughs> i could give you a couple of things how harrington used to um help me without he knew what he was doing but in my mind as a young kid, I didn't realize what he was doing, if that makes any sense. But there was things that he would do. Um, and, and like I said, my racing strategy isn't the same as yours. Like, I, I don't know, I don't own a weather station. I don't know how to use a weather station. I watch a couple people. Um, I go by my feeling, um, make sure you could run your, you know, what you dial, that kind of thing. So, Harrington, and obviously he didn't care about anything. You know, he, he was good. But there was time where um, Aco used to have a high roller race involved in the race. So it would be 32 cars, and the high roller would pay five grand to win. And then if you won the high roller, you just went into the next round of the race. Okay. So um, I win the high roller, 
and now I find myself in the final of the five grander also. And he's got, it, his car was slow. It only went, I don't know, 880s, 890s wide open with a small block in it. And I remember him coming over to me before the final and saying, what do you want to do with the money? And I'm like, I don't care. I said, we already won 3,500 off the first five grander. So I don't care. Just don't tell me. Like, I don't care if you tell me you want to raise winner take all or if you want to split it down the middle, but don't tell me what we're doing until afterwards. And, um, and then I remember him coming up and saying, I think I had to, I won a couple five granders, but I think this race was, I had to run Tom Stalva in the final. And he was like a 770 car and I'm going 880s or 90s. And I remember I wasn't holding a lot, you know, it's not like I'm holding against these guys. I'm pretty much joyriding, hitting a tree and killing a couple thousands and my wind was coming up. So we get to the final and he dials me up 200s more than, you know, so I'm maybe holding three. And I said, Jim, I said, you sure you want to do that? Like, what, what do you want me to do anything different? And he said, he said, just do what you're doing. He's like, you could probably hold it to the floor. And I said, well, I don't understand. I'm like, why? So I go out, I do whatever. I did hit the brakes some and I wound up winning. I came back to the trailer after pictures and we're loading up. And I said, Jim, I said, why did we, why'd you dial up? and think it like you know 10 minutes later we were gonna be 200 times. and he said steve-o he said if you stood on the starting line and watch you go down a track he said every time you race a fast car he's like you drive an extra 40 50 feet he's like there's no way you're gonna run them because you're turning around and you're driving all over the place you know because i barely <laughs> fit the car as it was i was so, so skinny compared to his car skinny if you believe that but and he told me he's like I, you take up so much track he's like you're killing 100 to 200 before you get the half track he's like i know as soon as you start to look and then there was other, another, there was another race I was at and I, and my thing is I've always been able to crush the tree. Like when people complain, like, uh, oh, my lights are all over. My delay box is bad. I just roll my eyes. I'm like, your delay box ain't bad. Oh, my button's bad. Okay. Yeah. Your, your button's bad. Now, how about you just go up there and let go and the light comes on at the same time every, and you'll be fine. So there was one day where I, um, I was struggling on a tree. The first couple of rounds, I was good. And third round, I'm like 30 on a tree. The next round, I'm 30 on a tree. And now we're getting deeper in the rounds. And I tell him, I said, I think you need to roll 200 times. He's like, you've never had that in the car before. Why would you do it now? He's like, just let go of the button. He said, let me check the tires. He comes back and says, I found out what your problem was. He's like, the tires were low. So your lights are falling off because there's no air in the tires. He's like, just go and hit the tree. He's like, you'll be fine. Well, sure enough, I go out there, I hit the tree again and I win and I proceed to the next round. And then the day's over and I'm thinking back and I'm saying, He's full of shit. He didn't own a tire gauge. I know damn well he didn't go put air in the tires. I was in the car already, so I couldn't see what was going on. And he was just trying to make me not think of it. And without realizing, he was actually, he was teaching me. You know, but yep. you know what I mean? Like, it was stupid things like that. That All you got to do is think you fix the problem, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, and because of him, there's a lot of reasons I don't, I don't look at a lot of things, you know. <laughs> My thing is I try and keep the temperature close and if the rim isn't on the ground, I could probably be able to go down the track. <laughs> little mental jujitsu. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, me. All right, so let me put you on the spot. You got one more good one? I keep saying one more, but they're just so fun. Shit, if I think about it, we could go on forever. What's <laughs> um, a good one? All right, I think... I want to say when we maybe not initially met, like you ran around with Jim Young for a while too, right? Well, I, I, I mean, I when I started racing, I knew Jimmy, so okay. we, uh, no, we went to races together, but 
you might have been thinking when we went out to, I mean, it was, uh, we've known each other for a while before. The, it was when the, was it Tri-State? Is that the track that, with the grass in the middle? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. And they, we, I went out there to run the Super Pro deal with mm-hmm. my S10, but they also had that 32,000 winner take all. Yeah, right. With a thousand to enter. So we both entered that. And um, yeah, I, that was that one race that me and Jim traveled to. Oh, but Jimmy went to Florida with me too. The year the Dirty Dozen went down. He, oh, drove wow. my, he drove my cutlass. Well, because that's the thing. We drove – here, that's a perfect lead-in for the story. And, <laughs> Teed uh, you right up. So this so is what, 90, 99? 98, 99, I'm going to say. Um, I had my cutlass, which was the replacement of the Malibu that I flipped over. So it was still a 12-second car. You couldn't go 11s without a roll bar. So um, the thing went probably 11.70s wide open, and I used to run it on a two-barrel – I just take the link off in a good air. I throw weight in a trunk and that kind of stuff. So uh, I used to race ACCO on Tuesday nights. I'd run two classes at English Town on Friday. I'd run two classes at Island or ACCO on Saturday. Then I raced two, two classes at Sunday again at English Town. So Tuesday night, they have a point series and you used to pay 800 guaranteed and there would be 100 cars every week. And they, um, it was going into the last points night the next day was Moroso, first day of Moroso. And I told Jim, I said, we could go to Florida and we'll split the car. I'll find something to drive when we're down there. And if I find something, you could drive the Cutlass. So we made an agreement. He had Ron C, uh, Ralph Seagrave's little Vectra motorhome. And my op- or that might have been their open trailer. So we go to Atco. I said, if I make it to the final, if it's at least five rounds, it's like 18 degrees out that night. I said, if we make it to the final and it's at least five rounds, I win the points, which the points on Tuesday night paid 1500 bucks. And I know the guy who's in first, his name is Greg Antell. And he, he, he had a real job, so he couldn't race that night. He was like, I'm business. So I know he can't get points. So I need, if I go and we win, I said, that'll cover my entries for, for the week. I got to, you know, for the two weeks, I got to go. And I make it to the final. I wound up losing to Dave Harvey, but I made it to the final. I won the point, so I know I got money coming. And uh, we left Moreau, we left Atco, whatever time it was. It was dark. We drove straight through. When we were we were stuck in traffic in Florida for an accident, and then we stopped and got fuel for the motorhome. I said, let's fill the car up. It's got a stock gas, and let's fill the race car up now. I started the car at the gas station. We're like an hour and a half away from the track. I started the car because I'm trying to get – I got a damn street car on a trail, and I'm trying to get to Moroso to run first round with no timer. So I got the car warming up at the gas station, an hour and a half away on the trail. We pull in – and, like, this is before cell phones. You can't call ahead where we're at. We get to the track, and I well, – I think her name was Sue. It was a lady who used to work the front gate at Moroso. And she said, and she remembered everybody's name. So she remembered me for the first couple of years. So she says, um, you want to just pay for tomorrow? And I said, no, I want to pay for today too. And she's like, but they might almost done. I'm like, can you call and see? She comes back and says, they say there's 20 cars in the lanes. You could pay. And if you don't make it, don't worry about it. We'll just, you know, pay for tomorrow. Me and Jim pull in there. We take someone's parking spot. We unload the car. I pull to the staging lanes. And now what do I dial? I got literally five minutes to think about this last <laughs> night i was dialed like 12 o's and it's 18 degrees i'm 18 hours away and it's like 90 degrees out right now what do i do and i ran janice siegel she had an eight second dragster 
think it was white and green maybe. I pull in a laser. I think I dialed up like four tenths and beat her first round. And I wound up going, that was the year the Dirty Dozen went down. And it was good. I, I was complimented because Sam Biano told me somebody called him at work. And uh, the night before was that Stockdale, I think, with the white 12-second car. And somebody mentioned mine. Oh, and there's a guy up there from New Jersey with a 12-second car. And Sammy said, he's not cheating. Like, I wish they would have tore my car down. You know, that would have been like the biggest – Shit, I would get half of that money. Is that how that happens? <laughs> yeah, just a feather of, in your cap. Right? Yeah, the delay box was Velcroed underneath the, the bench seat and the wires. I just cut a hole in the carpet. and There was no wiring in that car. It was all stopped. <laughs> oh, man. How did the rest of the trip end up? Do you remember anything else? It, it, was, it was fun because when um, that was the year that you weren't even allowed to stay inside. They, used, they made you leave. Dauber was like parked outside, has left his rig outside all week. Well, we, um, when me and Jim got back, we just shut the lights off and motor them and laid there until late. And then we, we stayed inside. We never left. But uh, Troy, Troy got me to drive. Um, I think the guy passed away. He had two slip joint cars that Troy and someone else. Uh, I think he was from oh, Alabama. Um, Butch Pentecost. Ben, yeah, Butch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I drove one of those cars for the rest of Moroso, and then Jim drove my my Cutlass. But, yeah, there uh, – I tell you, I mean, there's not a trip to Florida that there's not some kind of, you know, leaving the racetrack that, you know, Troy's father would give me the key to the gate to Bradenton. And there was times I didn't even have to unlock and lock the gate because I'd pass them – I'd be leaving at 7.30 in the morning to go back to the hotel from playing cards, and he'd be just coming into work to start working at the track. Like, yeah, there was definitely some good hotel stories, some racetrack stories, gambling stories. Yeah, I, yeah you're making me think back now. I mean, there, <laughs> I, I could do this once a week with you. <laughs> I know you could. <laughs> Uh, Steve, man, I appreciate it. I hope I, I can just tell from some of the comments on Facebook that our, our listeners are having as much fun. Most with this of them don't are. even know who I am. I'm a husband. I was only good for a couple of years. No, I no. I, I, a, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> and if you saw some of the names on here now, like you're, it's, uh, it's all part of the group. You know what I mean? Part of the, part of the tribe that lived that stuff with us. We got yeah. Scotty Bodmer and Wesley Washington. Yeah, but I'm telling you, the people that are growing up now, this new, like, the guys coming out of like Texas and shit, they're, they're killers. These sure. young kids. Um, but I'm telling you, the people talk about like the old days, I'm 43 now. And I, I feel like I'm the old man at the track sometimes, but. Do you ever ask yourself like, when did that change? Cause it seemed uh, like we were always the kids, you know, <laughs> what happened? I still, I still act like one. I, <laughs> I, I feel like shit though. I mean, I'm fat and old. So it, uh, it's, I mean, I tiptoe in the morning to make sure my bones don't break when I get up. And the, uh, but they'll never know how good racing was in the, from like 95 to 05. Like it was, it was an awesome time. Yeah, I know that we're biased, but it's hard for me to imagine that they're having as much fun now as we did then. I mean, it, it's honestly, when I go to the track, I don't enjoy it as much now because, um, Obviously, I don't drink a lot. I'm not a partier. Like, I, I go to race and have fun, but every, the, money, the money you could win now has taken a lot of the fun out of it. 
people spent so much money. They spend so much money to enter. You could win so much money. People take it so much more serious now. So it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still enjoy racing and I love it. And I wish that's all I could do for life. Like that would be my, you know, what I would love to do, but it's just, um, times change. I hate change. Like, uh, I wish, I wish I could go back and my parents were my age. I could keep them that age. And I wish I could be, you know, in my twenties forever, you know, like other than getting my wife later down the, down the line, like I would love to just be back in that time. Yeah, no, it brings back some awesome memories. And I think I, to your point, like, I don't even know if it's necessarily the, the available purses today, but the corresponding amount of money that everybody's got tied up to do it. You know I mean? There's just so much risk. Like it, it just heightens the uh, tension, I think all the way around. Like it's just not that same atmosphere. Like you well, said. That's the thing. And here, the track that I grew up at racing like ACO for the big races, that's when you used to see it because you know, it went to guys with big motorhomes and trailers and some of them never want to race in their life, but they wanted to, it became a show. Like you, the people felt like if you spent that money, I could win. I never had anything fancy. I had all slow cars. When people let me drive their stuff, yeah, their stuff might have been good, but I never had anything. I, I mean, I remember being in my 20s and cashing my paycheck, and it would be like 490 bucks. And I'd go to ACO and spend 800 on entry, you know, for the weekend. And like, who would do that? Like, it's crazy. But I lived with my parents. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't stupid enough to try and move out, then I couldn't race at all. <laughs> right. You know, but. Luckily, I had awesome parents, and and uh, you know, growing up, my father showed me like he never he raced, but he won twice in his life. But he raced for fun, and I do it for fun too. But I don't do it just to spend the money and not get any return. I want something back. I just noticed we got one request uh, before I before I turn you loose. WW, I'm not taking my clothes off. That was actually not the request. Oh, right. um, <laughs> WW weighed in asking if you told the story about the rental car. Is that suitable for the audience? Is it the, is it the, is it a Mur John Murphy, big Murph rental car? Oh, I think Where, I've heard Har Harrington and Puerto Rico rental cars. Like, Oh, we got too many rental car stories. Yeah, I, I personally don't think I have. I know, I know plenty of those stories. <laughs> I mean, Mur Murph flipped a brand new Yukon in the grass at, at Moroso. Didn't, and Sean didn't even spill his beer in the passenger seat, but that was one. But Harrington then, uh, I don't know, you got another 10 minutes? You, you, you want another yeah, 10 minutes? Hell yeah, uh, let's well, roll. The, the story with um, back when I was a kid in the 80s, they used to have, um, I don't know if it's a division one thing, but they went, they took a bunch of people to Puerto Rico and it was like the States, the, it was like the, the stars of the States or something, yeah, first yeah. Best in, uh, whatever, but Harrington, Dauber, they're all like Janice Eagle, I think Mike Hasham, whoever else, but, but the story was with that, they had, they had a rental car and they left the hotel or something and they were going to have a, a race to go get breakfast and whoever got their last had to buy breakfast or something. Well, they're like in and out of traffic. They all got the same rental car. And supposedly Harrington's in last place. And he thinks it's like Haitian and Janice in front of him. And they come up to a traffic light and he rear ends them. And when he rear ends them, he rear ends them hoping that it would like knock the fuel pump sensor off so the car won't run or something. Well, he rear ends the, the car and it turns out it wasn't even them. They didn't even know the people. 
<laughs> Harrington wound up totaling like two rental cars just trying to save the breakfast money, and it wasn't. And even know the people he hit. I'm sure there was more to the story. I don't know it all because I wasn't there. But that was uh, that was the type of crowd. But I wish I knew which one Wesley was talking about. It might have been Big Murph, but I, I don't. I, I'm a shit. I, I've heard a lot of rental car stories. We, uh, we do it again. We're going to have to have Wesley. Uh, yeah, right. Getting my phone vibrated between my legs. So I don't know who. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he's texting me or letting me know. But. We uh, and we 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 gotta we gotta get serious and get started on the on the Harrington biography. Like <laughs> that that would be an entertaining read. I could well yeah you're good at that type of stuff and writing and making it. And I could just be the uh, the voice and we could just go into like a dual. Uh, Cool authors. Every two people write one book together. Is that, 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 that a yeah? Thing? That's a thing. That's a thing. I don't yeah. do much reading. That's uh, yeah. We'd make a hell of a team. That's what Bones <laughs> used to tell me. He's like, hey, I can talk. You can write. Like together, we can we can get this worked out. Yeah. 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 Well, if you want to do that, we can do that with racing too. You just do all the driving. And I'll just be the crew chief, and we'll split everything from here on out. See, I think we would do better to flip that because I got the strategy part down. Like I can tell you what to do. I just, I just don't always yeah, have the. I can tell execution. you what to do too. I just don't do it sometimes. <laughs> I make up my mind last minute. How, how about when I drove your old, your, uh, I drove the South Carolina, and I drove your car, and I think Stephen Hughes' car, and you asked me if I um, was using a nitrous, and I'm like, I don't think so. And he's like, Yeah, but when you were on a chip, he's like, it Sounds changes pitch. And I'm like, God, oh, bump it down. He's like, what button are you hitting? I'm like, I wasn't bumping. I was hitting the nitrous every time. <laughs> I'm bumping, and the thing, I'm, I'm just shooting juice through it as I'm on the chip. You and uh, you and Jeff Lopez. Lopez, every time he drove my car, he'd backfire at once on the on the on the two step. <laughs> every time, never failed. Uh, good stuff, Cisco. Thanks again for uh, for hopping on here. Uh, like I say, we've gotten awesome feedback just on the live feed. I I think everybody's enjoying this as much as we are. Um, Thanks again. Continue. Uh, stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll get through this. And uh, man, this, this has been fun. I appreciate it. Hey, anytime. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Those of you watching and or listening, thank you as well. And uh, same message to you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Listen to the experts. And um, like I say, just keep in mind, we'll, uh, we'll get through this together. Appreciate you guys. See you, Luke. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, 
This is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.